I'm Rob Hirschfeld, CEO and co-founder of RackN and your host for the Cloud 2030 podcast. Today, the 420 edition of the uh, DevOps Lunch and Learn group, we uh, went deep into vendors, specifically Red Hat. So if you like vendor chat and gossip and, and speculation, we talked about uh, Red Hat, IBM, Oracle, on uh, a couple other vendors of note and uh, strategy. And it's a really fascinating discussion because um, we really dissected what the strategy is or what we think it is for uh, these cloud vendors. Uh, and, and I think you'll really enjoy it. Um, I was for, for topics today, I would, I would have us continue on, although I don't think y'all were here for the, um, service mesh conversation. So I am, I am open to topics of the day. Um, we can certainly talk more about service mesh. Uh, Ed's here, so we can always talk. We all, we, we, I'd be happy to have an IPv6 or networking update and conversation. Um, although Ed might decide he's had enough of that for his regular day job. But. Yeah, I'm, I'm never, I, well, I don't know if you saw Rob, but Oracle released OCI has V6 support now, so. That just that just got announced. Excellent. Oh, that's right, because that was in this release, wasn't it? So it just it just they just published it out. It was um, I don't know. It was yeah. Let me see if I can find the press release and pull it up. There was there were like Kubernetes had a release. I was nothing jumped out at me as as stunning. Although I did notice they're slowing down their um, cycle time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they they, uh, they announced uh, yeah not that, that they were gonna do three releases a year. Ooh, I think that's a reasonable sign of the stability of the project, um, or the complexity of the project. <laughs> hmm. Yeah, I, I would say that it, it's it's more uh, a sign uh, as to like. Uh, <sighs> I, I, yeah, just as Rocky said, that the complexity, like the the larger the the, the project, the more areas a, a component touches, which means that you need to do more testing, and it's going to take longer. Yeah. Did it, when they're releasing, I think that's just Kubernetes, though. It's not like there's a CNCF big gate with everything tied to it. All the all those projects have their own have their own thing, as far as I know. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny because I haven't tried to worry too much about the Kubernetes release cycle, and then I've been watching the OpenStack stuff is, you know, not a lot of fanfare on that stuff anymore, but I've been, I actually heard, you know, I've been talking about OpenStack more than I expected to uh, the last couple of days. So. But yeah, so Ed, IPv6 is out in uh, OCI. I think that's going to, mm -hmm. does anybody, I saw some people bashing Oracle clouds. I actually haven't used them, so I can't. Can't make a comment one way or another. I, I haven't used it, but uh, I imagine the, the bashing is, is along the lines of the Oracle is a, is a, is an easily available target for bashing, whether it's their cloud or, or any other offering. <laughs> just uh, just like IBM, uh, which made the news today, or, or at least the headlines. My feed. Oh, yeah, that was, and that was you reminding me of what my my topic was. But go, go ahead. 
What did they do? What did they do? Um, so one of their de developers was um, contributing to the next kernel on, under their own uh, uh, under the private email yeah. address, and they uh, told them uh, uh, not so nicely not to do that. What? Yeah. That's outrageous. Yeah. Well, let's see if I, I can find the, 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 the part of the operative quote in that. Yeah, that popped up in my Twitter feed. I didn't realize it was it was going viral. Um, that the operative the operative thing was you work for IBM one hundred percent. You don't get to under your under your with yes your as an ex IBM employee. Mm -hmm. That's how your contract is written. One of the reasons I left. Well, you can't move much. that, you can't move that might not be um, enforceable in California. What do you mean? California labor law has a few more uh, employee-friendly things than some other states, no, including things like... Uh, uh, you, yeah, you have they, that well. they can't ban you from working in your field of uh, uh, expertise just because you leave the company. Yeah, no, I mean, you have that well employment in California, but what they're saying is while you're employed with us, you're everything you're producing and you're signing a contract that agrees to that, that everything you're producing is under IBM's privy and control. They don't provide any exceptions for that. Many organizations in California on their employment. Yeah, I, like if I don't think that's, them. I don't think that's enforceable in California. Uh, when uh, no, I was it's at, enforceable in, it's enforceable in California. It's, um, it's, when I was at Amdahl, they specifically had a little session that said, you know, it could be in your contract, but that doesn't mean they can enforce it. And uh, no, intellectual they specifically property. said they cannot control what you do on your own time because you're not being paid for it. Yeah, they're what IBM is saying is that they're they're encompassing all their employment contract for intellectual property. Anything you produce, whether you're off hours or on hours, is 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 theirs. That is legal in California. Most organizations in California don't do that because you don't attract any talent. Because <laughs> <laughs> you can't start your own company and and do something as a side project. But you know that and for for them that's still you know. You know I, yeah, I, I think that's challengeable in court. And that might just happen this time around. <laughs> With if, if this mean, gets noisier. Yeah, to me, this is this is. I, I guess everybody here is saying it's clearly an IBM policy. So those words are IBM policy, and that's so it's not surprising to them respond. They could have clarified in any in in other ways that would have seemed less um, draconian. I mean, considering that, that IBM's main business is protecting their portfolio, it, it makes sense. <laughs> no, there's no, no fans of uh, Oracle or IBM. Yes. Yeah, no, that's, but like if you're contributing to an open source project, there's liabilities and contribution, um, you know, uh, you know the, the credit for being an IBM employee and contributing to these projects, um, especially if you're doing it. 
How does that work with Red Hat, with them owning Red Hat? I mean, I don't get that, but whatever. Yeah. Red Hat that would too. not appreciate that. This is, they're probably going to lose a ton of Red Hatters in this, like if anybody was on the fence. Huh, maybe yeah. Well, uh, I mean, if if the if the changes to from CentOS to CentOS Stream uh, didn't dissuade a lot of people, this will certainly not uh, do anything to, for the bad taste in their mouth. Well, I wonder what it'll do for uh, Rocky Linux or some of the other uh, CentOS replacements. Uh, yeah. We haven't seen those things popping up as much as I as it had seemed like they would a couple of months ago. Maybe it's just the, our audience, but I, I think a lot of the the people who use CentOS are still using it because I mean it's not like it's going away right away. Like we can still use CentOS seven was it seven six now? Um, um, but yeah. Um, I imagine a lot of people are either waiting for a new de facto stable distribution to come out, or that they might be trying to determine like, okay, do we do we move to uh, SUS or or to Ubuntu or Debian? Um, so it's uh, it's a bit of a challenge. So I, I don't think a lot of people are that are are actually using CentOS in, in a production environment are that keen on, on, on pulling the trigger and on, on jumping just yet. I mean, how one of the challenges here is that you could, if you were staying current, right, it's really about a long-term support issue as far as I've, I've seen. If you're within the, the release cycle and staying up with the release cycle, there's not, you know, there's not a lot of heartburn. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm misinterpreting it. What's what's the real impact for a CentOS user? It, if they're, I guess it would depend on how much they're rely, relying on on new software coming into CentOS repositories. Um, I I would imagine that mm. people using CentOS as it is right now are picking it more for stability on. Um, and they're not using bleeding edge. So. Okay, I just uh, found a, a quote on California employment law. Any provision in an employment agreement which provides that an employee shall assign or offer to assign any of his or her rights in an invention to his or his to his or her employer should not apply to an invention that the employee developed entirely on his or her own time without the employer's equipment, supplies, facilities, or trade secret information except for those in, inventions that either, you know, so pretty much. Uh, yeah, but IBM can just say, we, we pay for you for all your time, not just for your 40 hours. Uh, no, uh, California no. law doesn't allow that. The, the, I, I think the keyword there is, is invention. Uh, right. Contribution to, to the project might be a gray area in that regard. It's also resources and assets, right? Did IBM partially pay, help them pay for their internet? Did they provide the laptop? Did they, whatever, right? All those count. A lot of uh, open source folks have their own equipment and specifically 
course, Rocky, segregate. But then it becomes a a challenge of legalness, and you can choose to fight that or not. So, you know, yeah. stare that down and figure out what you want to do, and you lose, right? I yeah, still get calls. I still get calls from IBM lawyers today. Yep, I believe that. Yeah, the other challenge becomes if they pay for any resources that you might use, like, you know, IBM pays for your internet access, and you use that same internet access. <laughs> didn't work. <laughs> it's one of those, like, anyway. Yep. <clears throat> I'm, I'm providing a, uh, oh, hey, John. I'm providing a uh, link to the actual commit message, and I'm seeing some IBM executives namely Chris Ferris, um, at saying that it's actually counter to their policy. So um, long as it doesn't present a conflict of interest. Yeah, you would think contributing to Linux kernel would not be a conflict of interest considering Red Hat. I remember IBM's legacy with um, Slackware and um, the other legal instances around all of that stuff. It's, it's, they have a different mindset because they've been burned in the past. The whole Novell, well, I can't remember, Slackware Linux, I can't remember the company that owned it, but. Uh, SCL, SCL still has a lawsuit going on that whole thing yes i know yeah. I'm, yeah, I'm they resurrected that it's resurrected yeah but, I, mean, you know, I was in that lawsuit the interesting thing to me is I, I i don't read that as them saying don't contribute they're saying use your ibm email to contribute which is different it's so they can track it all they want right. the that's tracking, part of the challenge is then they can say that they provided right it's there's the whole SEO thing has totally screwed up a lot of the internals of IBM because the SEO lawsuit, while frivolous to some degree, had IBM spend millions of dollars that they could never recoup. Mm -hmm. It was yeah. punishment by lawsuit. And it was horrific, right? That's I, I worked in AIX for a long period of time. And I was one of the 10th largest contributors to the AX source code. And so I get deposed periodically by IBM lawyers to say, okay, we need you to say, why did you have so much commits? Why were you doing this? What were you doing? And I have to go, well, I was, my manager directed me to do these things, right? And okay, but all of that is because they need to be able to track who, what, when, where, why. And if you're doing it under different naming conventions, and they get sued, they have a problem. Yeah, uh, when when IBM first uh, joined in on uh, OpenStack, it took the longest time to get the lawyers to uh, come up with the framework that they were going to use to allow uh, the folks from IBM to contribute anything to the code base. They could participate in the meetings and stuff like that because they weren't recorded. <laughs> but they, the contribution itself, it took months to get to the point where they could even sign on to become a member of OpenStack. 
Uh, that's true. And then even then, they could only contribute to OpenStack projects is part of the reason why a certain, like, they were very uh, adamant about projects getting into the OpenStack umbrella, um, which in turn drove bad behaviors where things that couldn't get into the OpenStack um, and uh, were second-class citizens because they couldn't be contributed on by yep. major parts of the community as a project that was in that in that limbo land. Um, it's it's crazy. I mean, these are have nothing to do with the value of the project or the contribution. It's, right. Open source is not simpler from that perspective. The simple thing is when a company owns owns the uh, software and they they can say this is mine, this is not mine. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I this, that's the I don't think this is a them trying to take back fall back anything. It's it, to me it looked like a you know badly worded. Please use your corporate email for this. Um, so that we can be attributed correctly. <laughs> Some lawyer broke his, his leash at IBM and spoke to the public by accident. Oops. <laughs> I, that was on a public, yeah, I don't know. That's, that's going to have some blowback for, for them from that perspective. Actually, it was IBM was my topic uh, du jour. Um, I had a topic from a couple weeks ago that I wanted to bring back. Um, which was around, it's a Kubernetes, but it's an IBM topic. So IBM had a press release. Most, I'm happy to, to pivot. I, I keep keep topics around, but this one, I'm always interested in what it takes to build the Kubernetes ecosystem up. And then IBM made their um, red, bright red line comment where any, um, the all future work would be Kubernetes focused. Like any software they develop would be Kubernetes focused and all, projects would be ported to Kubernetes um, if possible. Hmm. That's very, that's a small basket for all their eggs. Yeah, <laughs> that's an extremely limiting statement. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm, inter I'm interested in your people's reactions. <sighs> I wanna see how they do uh, their mainframe stuff through Kubernetes. Not hard. <laughs> it, it, it's called emulators. <laughs> well, and I think that to an extent, right? It's there's a, as much of that software is peripheral to the to the mainframe as it is actually on the mainframe at this point. So, in that statement, you have yeah. to worry about where it was sourced from, right? Let me find it. Just in the sense what do you, that what do you mean? Uh, department well, versus whole corporation. Yeah, right. IBM is huge ish. That's true. And so, did it come from the Red Hat arm? Sure, they'll make all sorts of crap statements. <laughs> right? Is it from the AIX hardware PPC line? They're going, what the heck are you talking about? Right? Yeah. If they're talking about the even the latent AS400 line, right? Really? Kubernetes? Really? <laughs> yep. So that's why I'm like, you, there's always this rub, right? And you know their professional services business is like, 
yeah, whatever the customer said, yeah. That's, yeah. Well, this, yeah, if it's coming out of Red, uh, Red Hat OpenShift circles, it's not, it, it's an intense statement. Do you have a link? I, I don't even see I'm, it. I'm, lo I'm, looking, I'm looking for it. I do, I do have one. Uh, let's see. Uh, there's a press title. I'll find it in just a second, John. Where is the link protocol? Make sure I got the right. March 29th. Yep. Uh, IBM doubles down on OpenShift. They're going to overhaul um, all new products. Here's the operative thing. All new products must be built on OpenShift. Not just Kubernetes, actually. It's an OpenShift statement. The company's open source developer platform. We will not build any software in IBM that does not run on OpenShift. SVP Rob Thomas uh, said, uh, reflects a focus on hybrid cloud. Um, some things like DB2 and Web, oh, it's already moved DB2 and WebSphere over to the platform. Uh, and then they make a statement about having more contributors to open her to well to OpenShift, obviously. But. All right. Yeah, I the, when I read when I read something like that, I wonder if they're actually you know if that's going to build a software ecosystem around Kubernetes. That's always where my that's where my question goes. What does it take to have, you know, if Red if if IBM Red Hat makes Kubernetes like the standard thing that people deploy to then run, you know, IBM software on, does that create a critical mass around Kubernetes as a ubiquitous underlay platform? Yeah, it's a valid question. I mean, he's not directly related with Red Hat in any way. Well, and I and this is to me the the Red Hat IBM question. It's like, yeah, I get it. Marketing stunt, Greg. Everything that you were saying, that was my first my first read on it. Was like, good way to market OpenShift. And then I step back and I'm like, all right, would would that create critical mass for for Kubernetes? Well, the Where, question there. Or you're you're actually asking to me the wrong question. Okay. Or you're to me, or sorry, you're you're conflating something, right? You said OpenShift, right? They said yeah. OpenShift. Um, the point is, you've translated that to Kubernetes. It may not be. Right. Right. As everybody's kind of pointed out in previous podcasts across the Cloud 360 and, and this one. Yeah. Kubernetes is quasi-maintained as a reasonable set of consistent APIs, but that's completely dependent upon what you bolt into it. Well, 
OpenShift's going to define what you've bolted into it. And so is that really going to work in AWS or GCU? Yeah, no, I do know that they did uh, that an announcement, at least the Crossplane guys did a few months back, that IBM had um, ported like 80 of their applications into their framework. It was actually a little bit more than 80. Um, so that's somewhat multi-cloud, but I think that part around that statement you put out there, Rob, which is a bit more interesting is it's not a move um, as much around Kubernetes. It sounds like what they're trying to do basically is grow their partner ecosystem and move away from direct sales. So I think this is how they're trying to actually move their sales channel forward. That is the other, the, the, a part of the rest of that announcement that I wasn't reading, you're exactly right, is that they're they're trying to say this is a this is a signal to partners that if they if you build on, and this is Greg's point, not clear if that means Kubernetes or uh, OpenShift, but if you're build if you're building in that ecosystem, then that would let IBM work there. There's two ways to do partners. This, I mean, they love to sell through partners. They have to partners sell their stuff. Not clear if that means that um, if they would sell other people's tools. My take on it is, is that they're seeing sufficient OpenStack adoption, or at least OpenStack compatible adoption in the form of Kubernetes that they consider it practical to make it their main uh, client segment for applications. And, and so, you're if, saying if, OpenStack, if, but I'm assuming you mean OpenShift. Yeah, sorry, uh, OpenShift. No worries. Just, um, just making sure I crack it. Yeah. yeah. So, 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 I mean, we, we, we already established that OpenShift does not necessarily mean Kubernetes, but I I think your interpretation of them targeting Kubernetes specifically as a market market segment is likely accurate. Like the, they they can't say like we're, we're going to cover we we're going to create products for Kubernetes like their own uh, OpenShift. So they they have to say like we're going to produce product for OpenShift, but um, I mean as we as you also mm -hmm. established in, in in your earlier comments, like it, it's it's easy to make the assumption that if it works on OpenShift, it works on Kubernetes, which means then that it it will run on a lot of platforms that they see enterprises adopting. So, yeah, so I, to me, this announcement I, is more them chasing the market than than an, anything to do about their own products. You know, when I look at this, though, it, it's it's I think it's I won't say clear, but it's it's yeah, they're, they're very much saying that their their focus is not the entire marketplace. Their focus is in natural language processing, uh, AI trust, and automation. All of those which are already on OpenShift. And that that's where they're kind of doubling down in terms of technology stack. Mm -hmm. So they're not really saying we're moving everything over. They're saying we're moving that you know, these are our three main thrusts where we want to play. 
right? And and for us to continue to grow our revenue, right, we, we need to do that through channel partners, which I would tend to think of, you know, the days of the, the you know, the IBM blue shops, right, are probably dwindling now, right? Because it used to be you had an IBM shop, they were IBM, right? <laughs> so, yeah, it could just be a reflection of the fact that those days are kind of gone. Um, and where they're putting their major play into these AI tool suites is already on OpenShift. So it may not be that radical. It's interesting. Go ahead. I, I was just going to say, John, like one thing that occurred to me from your comment is might also be that they might be moving from selling product to uh, on and to, towards uh, selling services. Like we, we know they have their IBM cloud, uh, but buying into IBM cloud is, is rather hard and, um, unless you, you've got a budget that you need to blow. Um, well, and they're, and they're selling, and IBM is selling that off. Yeah. That's one of the, like there's, there's, so, there's dimensions in this that are easy to forget because IBM basically is not going to be a cloud company. In this. It's really Red Hat in a software company. So when they when they talk about using OpenShift as the base, they they're not hosting it for anybody anymore. They're they they've got to have it be the the common. You know they need a platform for to all for all their software to be organized around. Otherwise, they're just selling a whole bunch of you know products, individual products as individual things. They don't have a unifying principle at the right now. Maybe I'm reading too much into it. I will say that, that, that that's an interesting thing. And I don't know to what extent when they cut off the hosting business um, and and you know move that out to be. I one of the things y'all were making me think of. You know, their partners is so vague and. You know, he said, we need to be doing half our revenue through partners or with partners. And that could be Amazon, where they're hosting, you know, OpenShift on Amazon clouds in, in, in this model. Um, yeesh. Oh, that reminds me, though. Um, yeah. Completely off-topic IBM, but... Um, there's also the news about uh, Dell and VMware. <laughs> you you mentioned takes on that, yeah, yeah. So you, you mentioning uh, like hosting stuff on on, on Amazon but that, that that got me thinking. Like, oh yeah, just just like VMware is doing their their stuff with, on, 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 yeah. My my runaway train of thought. Yeah. No. Do you, do you? I actually, I think we can connect connect the dots back again. But let's. I, I'm happy to chase the VMware. I, I wasn't expecting it to be that big of a a shakeup. I mean, maybe it'll let VMware, um, you know, be a little bit less uh, Dell Dell focused in some things. But yeah, um... they certainly they certainly like to push the the Dell hardware integrate the VX Rail integration pieces. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm not surprised that Dell has done this. I mean, they've 
they they go back and forth with their acquisitions and spinoffs. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, Michael. Michael's Michael's a uh, master at manipulating you know the the various stock and corporate formation things like that. I don't think there'll be any major impact on the bottom line of, of VMware. Um, definitely their stock is, is, is doing well uh, from this. Um, yeah. It's, it's interesting because comparing like VMware to Red Hat, um, you know, slash IBM, but because those two are major competitors in market, right? They're competing at the virtualization side where, where Red Hat's trying to take virtualization share from VMware and VMware is now trying to take Kubernetes share from Red Hat. Those are the two primary enterprise players that, that I see on that landscape. Um, unless somebody just, is there, I mean, I, I wouldn't put Sousa Rancher um, too hot, you know, I, I just don't see them making that much noise here. Right. I think Rancher is aiming more at the small and medium-sized cluster market. Um, yeah. And, and, and less so at the at the the, the like enterprises with, with an established budget. Like if, if you're if if you have a, a sufficiently large budget, you you're not gonna blink at VMware because I mean just as it used to be that no, no one ever got fired for for buying IBM. Like in terms of virtualization, no one no one's not gonna get fired for buying VMware. Um, Rancher, in my experience, it's been good, but it it doesn't have that reputation yet. It's interesting because I think a lot of the rancher story got swallowed up by all the fast providers. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, running a Kubernetes cluster by yourself is definitely a niche market. Um, I mean, ho- hobbyists tend to aim more towards keep admin. Um, so, so really like the, the market for, for rancher is, um, companies that host their own cluster that don't, uh, that don't have any attachment to, to any other companies. So, so basically greenfield projects and that need nominal support. Or, or at least the option of support. Uh, so, so again, it, in, in my opinion, in that it, it is a niche market. That, that they're they're certainly dominating that niche, uh, but it, it it's not a very large segment. Um, and yeah, but it, I kind of feel like that they're they're also trying to to move towards Kubernetes uh, on, on on edge. More than that, they even done than SaaS. Well, they got they got some press on the K3S, and then uh, you know, uh, MicroKates got more. You know, I, I, they like they had some mojo with that, and then I feel like it's 
I guess they got acquired and then the marketing marketing got muddier. Um, yeah, I, I mean, from that, that perspective. I, yeah. And the other thing that's not clear is can you get Kubernetes support with Rancher, Rancher without entangling SUSE? Right. The, the thing that makes a lot of this so messy is that it's hard to find somebody who's going to sell you uh, Kubernetes without without then entangling you on the OS and on the, you know, all the whole stack. Um, uh, with Rancher, you, you, you definitely can, or at least the, you could. two years ago, you, you were able to. Right. Um, that, that, that's one of the reasons back, back then uh, that the company I work with chose to go with, with Rancher is that uh, you, you, you could start out with our key no subscription, but then move over to a subscription plan, which basically gives you the support on top of the, the platform. Um, right, after you've already been using it. That's yeah, right. yeah. Uh, so I I haven't seen anything about them moving away from that model, and I would be very surprised if they did, because um, it, it seems to be working well for them. I With... with Dusa involved, I all best from the table to me. Um, uh, but yeah, yeah. Um, we'll see how it goes. So it's because that I mean, when we look at like trying to do a Kubernetes distro, like using OpenShift, I tried to do an OpenShift install. Um, not that long, 18 months ago, back in the, when KubeCon was in San Diego, and I was trying to find docs and a whole bunch of stuff, and I, I came up against a wall. Like, if I wanted to do, you know, use do Red Hat OpenShift, it was not going to be something that I was going to find instructions for and just install um, at all, yeah. which surprised me. Um, Heptio is not any, not, not Heptio, Tanzu not much better um, or any different, right? You, Tensu is so deep down the VMware well that you basically you've got to have a VMware license um, to be doing any Tanzu work. Yep. Um, yeah, it's, it's, and then I haven't, I haven't played with, you know, just straight open, open Kubernetes for a while. Um, like I started, I, I started down that path and just figuring out what OCI provider to use was, was a tangled web. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I'm, I'm surprised that there, there hasn't been any distribution to replace CoreOS as in the original CoreOS, which like just the, like just a, Strip down operating system with Kubernetes installed. Um, I, yeah, well, the whole the whole immutable OS stuff we did a ton with that a couple of years yeah. ago, um, and we're you know except like uh, Tanzu uses their um, Photon, and I think um, the the. Red Hat Kubernetes OpenShift stuff is using their their lightweight, which is their core OS variant, um, Black Car, 
or is flat car a fork of it? I think flat car is a fork of it. Um, we, you know, I, I just haven't, I, th I think even um, Anthos is using, um, they have a lightweight OS they use for their, for their container engine. So maybe they're still there. Mm -hmm. They're just now deeply integrated into the, the distros. It's, yeah, I always view those as just two radically different competing business models. I mean, Red, Red Hat, you went to because they never changed anything to get a change into Red Hat. <laughs> it was, it's, it's very painful to get Red Hat to put new features in. Even after you do all of the work for them and submit it in, it takes a year where, where CoreOS was, yeah, we upgrade every freaking day. You know, so they're very the opposite of, of um, how they maintain their OS. One was it was based on being iterative. The other one was based on being stagnant. The, the other thing that we found was that the in, these, in, these immutable OSs were really cloud designed, meaning the way they could get away with some of that is that they assumed that you were running in a virtual machine that didn't have to deal with hardware variations and multiple NICs and different storage arrays and things like that. It was just like, oh yeah, it's always SDA and it's always ETH zero and that's all you care about and you're done. As soon as we, we hit real world stuff, um, you know, the tooling just wasn't there to make those things particularly robust by design, right? It's not, it's not wrong. It's just, that's a design limit, you know, it's a design choice. Does that line up with what you were thinking? No, I, I just like it. When we had choices between um, going with Red Hat for for um, a platform versus going with Mirantis versus going with Core, right? Um, you know, we couldn't go with Red Hat because we needed new things and hmm. they, they couldn't do it, right? Particularly when it came to managing edge devices and distributed control planes and that kind of stuff. Um, and, and Red Hat was like, we, we can't do it. All right, we're just not gonna do it because they have a whole group of enterprise customers that, you know, they're, they're the ones with the, the, the 10 year old, you know, Windows, uh, you know, NT box that hasn't been rebooted, right? They, they don't want change, they fear change. And so, you know, Red Hat is a very, very stable um, platform that has very minimalistic changes on it because their enterprise customers don't like it, right? Versus, you know, Mirantis would be more willing to do these things versus CoreOS was like, yeah, we upgrade daily, right? Mainly wrapped around their security posture of, of eliminating security patches, you know, every day. Um, so I just looked at the way, if you were going into, I talked to a guy at Verizon one time, I was interviewing him, and he was complaining about core OS because they kept upgrading the OS all the time. How am I supposed to maintain that? It's like, well, <laughs> why did you select core OS? <laughs> That's the premise of the platform. <laughs> you know? So I think it's just a very different customer profile and how those platforms matured. And if you kind of take core OS at, at their you know, word, and, and they pretty much did um, you know, do very, very frequent updates of the OS, right? I just think that's a different customer. I did plop in, there's a pretty good piece in Seeking Alpha on IBM strategy, by the way. I put that in the chat. 
saw that. That's a paywall thing, by the way. Or a membership wall, at least. Yeah. Um, I found. Maybe I should just get a free account. I, could. I, I think it's some number of free views. So if you hit it incognito or private browsing, you'll probably get to it. I don't go that very often, so I can just create a, a they'll just send me more spam. They already send me spam. All right. Oh. All right. Sorry. But so full circle. Does this then create, you know, does 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 IBM's move and and VMware's to you know, VMware being cut loose as a you know to be more of a software company, create a software market? Like are we are we moving into a space? This is always my, my interest, right? Where somebody could say, I'm going to write an application. I'm going to count on Kubernetes being available. And I'm saying Kubernetes, not OpenShift, because Anzu, you know, IBM, um, out there pushing these things like crazy. And I then come back and say, oh, yeah, it, you know, I can give you a Helm chart and you can run my app. And, and that's, I'm good. I don't think it's that deep. <laughs> I think you've got a new CEO who, who is trying to focus the company on revenue growth and, and growing revenue more than the 3% year over year they've had, right, is really tough to do if you're doing it organically. In other words, through the companies or through the direct sales team you have. And so I think what he's saying is two pieces is one, I want to be able to grow in non-organic fashion, which means I want to be able to leverage a partner channel and build that up to where they're generating more than half my revenue, right? Because 3% is a horrible growth number, right? And, and so he's very focused on how do I grow revenue out of these things? And then I, they split off the new code piece, which is effectively their managed services group right now. That's right. And then they said they're going to basically look at, at non-organic acquisitions to grow revenue and customer count. So. Right. This is all just about driving revenue. And you know, I think they're moving away from some of their legacy products where that revenue stream isn't going to see significant growth and moving towards newer products where they think they can get more growth. Well, but from that perspective, I mean, there was a time when um, they were trying to use, J was it JBoss? They had the other platform. Um, what, WebLogic right? or? Uh, it was Weblog WebLogic's is IBM's. Red Hat had a, maybe it was JBoss. Um, they had a Java platform that they thought was going to be the center of the universe and everything was going to plug into it. Yeah. Um, if, the, if the strategy is I'm going to have my partner, they're going to have their application, it's going to run, you know, and they're going to buy DB2 in the web sphere out of, out of IBM. We're going to force them to buy OpenShift to run those platforms, right? John, it, to your point, they, those might not be high-margin platforms at this point. They might be stable, but they're certainly popular. And so if you're like, oh, I want to use, I'm going to sell you WebSphere um, so, or JBoss, yeah. then you're going to buy them, but you're going to have to install OpenShift Kubernetes uh, along okay. with that, and we're going to sell you the OpenShift Kubernetes. But, but once again, that's not 
this is kind of normal to me. So I don't I don't see this as kind of an aha thing, right? And anytime we sell something, right, we, we want more than a single touch with a customer. You want them buying, you know, five, 10, 20 different touch points so you can maximize the, the revenue per account. Right, it's cheaper to do because <laughs> selling you two things is a lot easier than selling you one thing, and selling you five is a lot easier than two. So it, it's how you maximize your your revenue stream per customer, and a lot of times that lead item may be a big ticket item that does have lower revenue to it, but some of the other add-ons actually usually have better margins on them than than the the kind of lead-ins you do. So, I mean, this is just kind of <laughs> it's what you want to do, right? I mean, every company that's out there from a marketing perspective is going to try and do that. I'm processing. I agree. I agree with you. It, it, what it sounds like is that OpenShift is, is there. They're not going to own a cloud platform. They're not going to get you in on that, but they are going to use, it's exactly what, and, and, I don't see them moving. Maybe it's parsing how they say it. This is their hybrid strategy is to be a common platform across all these other infrastructures. I, you know, I, I read this that bit essentially, and it, it's, it, there's very little conversation around OpenShift. It's about how are we going to grow revenue and how we're going to change our sales strategy. And the major investments they continue to talk around are, are around AI, right? It's less mm -hmm. on cloud. But they didn't say they were getting out of cloud. But I will say when we talk to the software guys is that um, the cloud services was a fraction of the money that the cloud group made. They made the majority of their money uh, providing software on top of that cloud. So writing, you know, healthcare systems. Um, you know, it, it was a magnitude larger, the pro-serve business on top of cloud than the cloud business was. Um, you know, so it's a little bit of shifting in, in the way I read it. They're saying that we want to see AWS and Azure as partners, not not as competitors, but there's still some of that in there. Um, so I think it's almost like, well, I mean, if I was going to put it in my mind and I'm talking out loud now, right? Being in the infrastructure business is generally a shitty business, <laughs> right? And it, it seems this is much more like a play of saying we're going to become less infrastructure centric, right? And, and invest more heavily into the, the software arena. Um, but the only thing in there that's different is they're obviously still continuing to, to invest in um, quantum computing pretty significantly. So it's sort of saying, kind of like saying we're going to be a VAR for our own hardware. Value-added reseller. So yeah, software to get. And it, I see exactly where you're com coming from, John. It's, it's I would, how to get people to buy more. And it, it, that it has to be software. If you want a hardware metaphor to it, think think of Apple versus um, you know Microsoft. One was a closed ecosystem. You you couldn't port things into Mac OS. Right versus one was an open ecosystem, and that the open ecosystem grew significantly faster, right, than, than the closed one because it allowed more people to play. Yeah, but then again, it's like IBM is trying to do both sides. They want to be Apple and they want to be Microsoft. They want to grow faster like Microsoft, but they want to take more off the top like Apple. 
to me, it's just a, where do I want it? Where do I, how am I going to grow my company? Right. My, my current sales channel isn't going to give me, if, if I want to see 30% CAGR, right. My, my current sales strategy isn't going to do that. And so how do I shift my company to allow myself to get to those 30% um, year over year growth numbers? Right. Yeah. yeah. And it's probably not selling DB2. Yeah, everything I'm seeing from at least hires and everything else is all my friends that are interested in IBM or have gotten hired recently there. It's all about AI. It's all about enterprise sales and AI. That's that's the focus that they seem to be driving to after because they want the drag for everything else that's going to come about that. So yeah, which is why it's a good investing investment to keep going into quantum computing, right? The, well, the, I think the I think. Rate. I think they're looking at a lot of their customer base and saying that, you know, we, we can introduce AI into every single vertical space that, 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 that our customer base is already doing, and they probably don't have a solution offering there. So we'll go start there and we'll just, you know, we'll just tackle each set of verticals within each, each customer around every single thing that they do uh, to grow their account as wide as possible. At least that's the goals that I've seen shared with me that are, that yeah, I mean, is trying to chase. That, that sounds like a, an approach that they would take. Yes. I mean, it's very consistent with uh, everything I'm reading. Yeah. So, yeah. Not that I had, not that I just haven't had a friend who just got hired there to do exactly that, but <laughs> <laughs> let's, let's upsell AI to every single one of our com customers. Well, yeah, the that's article so says the IBM strategy is threefold utilize an open source based functionality of all slash most public cloud providers given companies the ability to switch providers if desired, right? Strengthen its own public cloud offering through in-house development acquisitions to expand, expand capabilities, create a compelling A offering that augments the value of IBM's hybrid cloud and vice versa. Yeah, and like I, I, I know that they're hiring so fast for the role sets that they haven't even defined territories and verticals yet for people. Like they hired them and they're like, please sit for three months while we work this out. <laughs> so, well, maybe Watson will pay off again eventually. Okay. Well, I don't know. Maybe they could use the AI to predetermine what territories and areas they should go after. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, AI's are just going to tell. They're just they're just going to be the avid. They're just going to be uh, Pinocchio for the IBM's Geppetto, the AI's Geppetto, right? Yeah, well, right. enough of my enough of my snark around that. No, nah, I like these snarks. Reasonable. You know, but think about it. Changing your sales strategy to get a big partner really does mess up your territory assignments. Oh yeah, oh, and hundred yeah. percent. They they have to realign everyone's account plans, and plus when they're when you know, I mean, it's you know, it's the same. It's the same disaster that Cisco went through when they had to realign all their stuff after after deciding that they want to chase software and licensing. Yeah, all your existing sellers, you basically have to rewrite their comp plan. The first thing you do is, is, is say like, yeah, you're, you're not going to make your number for next year. And, uh, and here's why, and here's the, here's the new account plan. You're the onboarder. You're not, if you're not, we go hire someone else. <laughs> that's, that's how it works. And you get a, you get a big turnover spike. They had a two year turnover spike. It was right after Chuck took, took over for Cisco. Cause you know, that, that was a change in, in plan. And there were a lot of folks that got, you know, app dynamics suddenly became the 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 lead for a customer engagement versus uh, anything else Cisco was selling exactly because of that reason because the comp plan lined up so they could pay the app dynamics folks they couldn't pay the existing hardware team so they're like yeah you're not lead on this anymore you're not going to make the spit for the upside and you know 
that's part of the redo for the sales comp plans. Uh, so, totally unrelated, but I, I had a I was talking to a guy on some stuff the other day, and we were talking about AI, and I asked him if if he had ever heard of knowledge islands. Right. It was just interesting some of the AI terms from 20 years ago versus what they have today, just to see if he had actually even heard of it. And no. Okay. <laughs> Still a useful concept when it comes to ML, but anyway. Interesting. Well, I, I appreciate the conversation as always, but it's it's fun to look at market and think think about some of these these broader what companies are doing in the broader trends because I assume they have much better market intelligence than I do. Getting other other people thinking about it's been helpful for me. So thank you all. I, I, uh, I next and, and uh, on Thursday we're going to do some blue sky. Mark Teely and I were we're talking one on one and um, we had the idea to, to not work from the now forward but work from future backwards and see what see what blue sky what what a blue sky thinking uh, session would, would translate into from a data center and infrastructure perspective. That'll be Thursday morning. I got to bounce. I got to grab okay. some food before I have to jump for the next meeting. <laughs> no worries. Talk to you soon. All right. Bye. Bye. Wow. I, I feel like we were gossiping the whole time. And sometimes that's sort of fun and interesting. And you learn a lot about how complex getting into market in these cloud businesses can be. Um, and understanding vendor strategy, even speculating when you don't know exactly what it's going to be, can teach you a lot about the industry. Uh, I hope you enjoy these conversations. I certainly do. Please join them at the2030.cloud. Uh, you're welcome to come in, share your opinions, or just hang out and listen. I'll see you there. Thank you for listening to the Cloud 2030 podcast. It is sponsored by RackN, where we are really working to build a community of people who are using and thinking about infrastructure differently, because that's what RackN does. We write software that helps put uh, operators back in control of distributed infrastructure, really thinking about how things should be run and building software that makes that possible. If this is interesting to you, uh, please try out the software. We would love to get your opinion and, and, and hear how you think this could transform infrastructure more broadly, or just keep enjoying the podcast and coming to the uh, discussions and you know laying out your thoughts and how you see the future unfolding. It's all part of building a better infrastructure operations community. Thank you.